Welcome to Design Much with Andy and Patrick. Hey, Hello, Andy. Hey, ah, be <laughs> what, uh, what's, what's, uh, what's going on? Uh, I don't have too much new to report, Patrick. Just, yeah. just hanging out. Do you out. have any new? Do you have any new followers on your Dribble account? <laughs> I don't have too many, no. But I think I have a couple new ones. <laughs> nice. Job is done. Yeah, that was the whole point of uh, our last episode, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Should we just instead of instead of spending ten minutes talking about peanuts or something, should we should we jump into the topic right away? Um, I guess unless the, unless the topic has to do with peanuts. There might be a few in here. Maybe. You never know, Patrick. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what's in the machine anymore. You don't even know. So I'm gonna find a, a good topic for us. I'm using our random topic generator here. <laughs> beep boop, beep boop, beep boop, beep boop, beep boop, beep boop. <laughs> okay, let's see what we got here. So, um, this topic, today's topic, Patrick, comes from friend of the show, Chris Jenkins. All right. And Chris would like to know um, how we dissolve, or not how we dissolve, <laughs> off to a great start, how um, we resolve design conflicts. Design conflicts? Yeah. Any more... Uh... Like, what does that mean? Well, is that um, all he said? That's all he said, resolving design conflict. So okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a reach here. Um, what I think that means is let's say we have one, we have a, a, a group of designers working on a single product. Um, we have mm-hmm. one designer that has done one thing and probably even shipped that, you know, and another designer that has probably done something else. And those two things are conflicting with each other in terms of the way the product um, is experienced by users or the way it looks. Um, And these two designers have a conflict where they think one is the right way. Like I'm I'm designer A and I think my way is the right way because I tested it with users and everything. And designer B thinks his or her way is the right way because they've tested it with users or something, right? So we have have a design conflict, Patrick. Um, How do we resolve this? Have you ever had this happen to you, Andy? Um, I feel like I have, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have. Yeah, I think it's probably happened to all of us. Yep. Um, yeah, do you have any ideas on how to resolve those? Or yeah. how, any stories on how you resolve them? Um, yeah, some, some ways that I've resolved um, conflicts in the past are um, kind of involving... Uh, so if I, if I'm working on design and I find out another designer is working on something that's similar or that conflicts with my design, um, involving them earlier on, I've had that lesson, um, learned where I've, I've not involved somebody or I didn't know about it and I'm designing my thing. And then all of a sudden, oh, we have this problem. Our product is kind of weird now. It's a Frankenstein. Um, and I've learned that if we would have talked earlier on, we would have had some, um, whiteboard sessions we would have included each other in our discovery or research Um, we could come to potentially a similar conclusion that could work for um, both experiences Um, 
that's that's one way that's worked. Um, I've I've always wanted to kind of you know bring a manager in and have the manager say, well, just just cut the design in half and see which <laughs> which which designer cares about it most. Slice the baby in half. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's never happened, unfortunately. So maybe one day that'll that'll happen and it'll be a lot of fun. But um, I think that's that's a good way to resolve that conflict. If you're if you're really far down the road and um, let's say both designers have shipped their designs and it's existing, um, resolving that conflict um, could of course come with a compromise where you're meeting together again and you're figuring out how those two things could work together. Um, one designer could just say like, I actually think this design is really great. I'll just take this one and implement it in my area. Um, because it might fit me a little bit better. That designer could be a little bit more humble and could be like, this is a, a great solution. I've looked at your research. I've um, understood what what problems it's trying to solve and it, it solves for my problem too. Um, I, think, I think that's another way to do it is just one person taking another person's um, work and implementing it. Um, where, where some designers I think come into conflicts as well as like uh, visual design which is, mm -hmm. I think, is a bigger problem. I don't know if it's a bigger problem, but it's a, a harder problem to resolve because visual design is very subjective. Um, so that one is definitely a, a problem <laughs> where that, that's going to be harder to to resolve. You could try to take the two visual designs and test them, like do an A-B test and see which one works better, but it's still going to be a subjective thing and it's not going to be the best yeah. results. So it's it's hard to choose one. Um, in, in that sort of scenario. Um, so I don't have too many uh, solutions for that, but um, Patrick, what, what have you experienced in terms of design conflict, especially as a, a coming from the manager perspective? Um, yeah, it's a pain. It's a huge pain because designers, I think, tend to act like children and they they tend to be prideful sometimes and don't want to, like, I designed this thing. I don't want to work with your thing, you know. Yeah. I think I think that comes into play a lot. I think from a management standpoint, any team for that matter is a little bit like working with children on some level, right? Mm -hmm. um, because I think as much as as much as designers are humble, they do get married to their ideas. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that that creates those conflicts. I I think I would take the Jacob Nielsen approach. And go back to the heuristics, design heuristics, right? His 10 design heuristics and take like air handling, for example, and say, like, how do you handle air handling? And I would say that's more like handling, a, like that's resolving an issue. Okay. And I would say designers need to work on preventing the air in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you bring up some good points. I think, I think preventing the conflict is more important than handling the conflict because there's always going to be conflict on some level. Yeah. But as a designer, I think you need to be mature enough to um, recognize your own shortcomings, first of all, from the very beginning. We talked about that, like being humble, recognizing your, your you know, places of weakness, places of strength, and then working from there and not, not trying to force other designers down your path i think is the is like the first place to prevent it i think the second place is to prevent it is it's all work the designer just has to do more work in my mind um the first thing is like you brought up is i think you need i think designers need to share their work more often 
But more importantly, I think designers need to pay attention to other designers' work as well more often. Yeah. I think all too often we share work, but the other designers don't look at it as critically as you look at your own work. Mm-hmm. And so let's say you're working on two very similar things. Like I'm working on an interaction, uh, a behavior in one side of the app, and somebody else is working on another behavior, the the same behavior essentially, in another part of the app with like the same goal. Um, a conflict would arise if those two aren't talking to each other. But if designer A is sharing and designer B is not paying attention, then it doesn't matter if designer A is sharing. Designer B also has to be sharing, right, and listening. I think that's the part of the problem is designers like to talk, but then designers don't like to listen. (laughs) Um, And so I think think that's where a lot of (laughs) conflicts arise, especially with other designers. I don't know why. I think it's a pride thing. Um, I think the second thing, too, you brought up, like, visual design. I think, like, fundamentally remember that you're not the artist and remember that you work for a company, right? We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to do your own art, then go do your own art. But if you want to work for a company and collect that paycheck, then, you know, work for that company, right? I think that'll help a lot of times with the visual problems because a lot of times we just want to design something new because we don't like the old thing or we don't like what we work with. So we just want to design something new and that usually creates conflict. Um, Along with the visual design side, I don't think, I don't think designers understand design systems very well. Um, (laughs) Why is that Patrick? When, when, when like, I think I still have problems with this. We've had a fairly established design system. I mean, it's in flux for a lot of times, but I have new designers come on board that don't even look at it. Right. And I feel like when you come on board at a company that has any kind of design system, any kind of style guide, anything, like your first goal should be to understand that and to understand how those behaviors in the app work. Because how can you design something for it if you don't even understand it yet, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. That would be something for like new designers or designers getting into a new job. Instead of just jumping in day one and trying to solve a freaking problem, like jump in day one and try to understand the application that you're designing for. Try to understand the design system, like truly understand the design system. Um, okay, I think that's that's a pretty think, interesting point. Yeah, because I think I think that will prevent that prevents a lot of mistakes, a lot of errors in the future of of you know kind of even looking like an idiot when you're a designer, of like I designed this whole thing and then and then. You know, somebody on the other team goes, that already exists, dude. It's right there. And you just spent like two weeks working on this thing. Then you feel like an idiot. Or if you're defensive and you're not humble, um, then you, you know, you raise hell and cause a conflict, right? Well, why mm-hmm. do we do it that way? Blah, 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 blah. Like in the, my last company, we did it this way. Well, that's great. That's great. All that conflict. But to prevent that conflict, I think you really truly need to understand the design system. Yeah, I think I, another point of prevention. Oh, sorry. Go, go, Andy. Um, I, I kind of want to explore that a little bit as well. Um, so hold on to your thought for a second, Patrick. Yeah, um, I'll pin it. Uh, so ex- exploring and understanding a design system. Um, me, like, kind of recently starting in a new company, I've had that issue where, where I come in and there's a design system. It looks great, um, but where do I use what when? <laughs> and like, yeah. it's also like, if you think of like a design system, there are hundreds and hundreds of, of pieces of that design system. And um, these pieces go together to make behaviors that are common across the application. Um, 
how does one actually go about understanding all of that um, before they're actually able to um, create a solution? Like, I think it's when you come in, it's very overwhelming. And what I've done um, in the past, and I'd like to know, like, what your thoughts are on this, Patrick, but um, I've, I've taken I've looked at like components and I try to look at things in the application um, and I try to create a solution and then I try to get feedback on that to see if I'm using it right. <laughs> like if yeah. I, I take this tool, like I take a hammer, am, am I hammering this nail right <laughs> the way everybody else does in the, the company? Um, and that's kind of how I've learned over time how we use things. Um, is, is there a better way to to come in and not be so overwhelmed when you're trying to actually, you know, jump in and start working as a UX designer? Yeah, I think I think you need to understand the rules, right? Like, I know design systems are complex, and most of the time they're incomplete, right? There's not, yeah, there's probably not a ton of documentation. There's probably not a ton of, um, you know, instances where the, where I can see this thing visually and how it works and how it functions. Like, there's probably not a ton of that, but there is some kind of style guide or some kind of design system. There's also going to be somebody there. Hopefully, your manager would be the default one, but there's going to be somebody another designer in the room, you know, that you're working with, um, that understands it more than you because they've been there longer, right. Or they've designed it that, that particular way. So if, if there's no documentation, my answer to that would be, you know, talk to people, right. It goes back with the sharing and the, and listening part of like, yeah, maybe you start working on a design, not knowing the style guide, but I think you're opening yourself up to, conflicts if you're not humble enough to understand that you don't know the style guide right mm-hmm. but if you took the time to maybe even ask somebody like ask another designer hey can you break down like what's in the style guide like what are the biggest elements what are, what are the biggest like design philosophies that we have as a team like what are those things right and communicate that with another designer like just sit down and talk to him about it if your manager or your you know mentor or whoever hasn't done that for you that i think i think it's okay. Like, I think it's okay to be proactive about that kind of stuff so you can understand the rules. Okay. In my mind, it's like playing a game, right? Like if you play a game or if you drive a car or something like that, right? Like anything that has all these rules and regulations around it, whether you agree or disagree with those rules or regulations is a different story. Mm -hmm. But if you don't understand what they are, then how do you even play the game? Right? Yeah. And just because they're not spelled out for you doesn't mean they don't exist. And I think, I think that's as a designer, if you want to prevent you from, you know, it's just like, it's just like when you meet new people for the first time, right? You don't just go in guns blazing, you know, you usually go in and try to try to find out who these people are before you say something really offensive, right? Because <laughs> you don't, you don't know, you know, maybe you come in, you come in and you're all political about stuff and you offend the entire audience you know, that's there, all these new, all these new designers, right? Mm-hmm. Think of it as like an interview or anything else. When you first start, it's your job to get to know what's happening. It's not, it's not necessarily your manager's job and not necessarily the company's job to teach you every nuance because that's impossible and you're not going to remember it all, but it is your job to reach out and try to understand those things. And I think you would just do that with the same, you would just apply that same principle to the design system, you know, ask somebody like, Maybe maybe you do start, maybe you understand, maybe you've read through it and you get it and then you get your first project and you feel good and then you go, okay, what this behavior, like, is there another behavior in the app that does this, right? Mm-hmm. And then go explore the application. Like, I think, I've, I think I've worked with or met too many designers that don't even understand 
what the application does and they may have been designing for six months with a company and they don't even know what half the other app does like to me that to me you're opening yourself up for conflict um and mistakes i don't know i don't know if i don't know if that helps <laughs> yeah yeah no i think that's great like it's uh um, what, what I'm hearing is you need to be a little bit more proactive in learning what that is, right? Like it's probably going to be overwhelming when you first start, you're probably going to get a project like immediately and you can, you know, get your toes wet. Um, mm -hmm. and you, you might be allowed to make some mistakes. And if you're sharing that stuff, um, you're going to get feedback. If you're asking people about it, um, you're going to be able to learn. And if you're exploring the app yourself, you're going to be able to learn how it's, how those components are used. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I think and, it's difficult, but I think, you know, we're, we're, we're adults, right? Hopefully. And we can do I, hard things. Are we though? You just, you like, just said we're all children, Patrick. <laughs> Which one is it, man? Well, well, we, we act like children, but we should be adults, <laughs> right? Hopefully. <laughs> right? Like, I think if you're acting like an adult, then, then, you know, you're not going to have conflict. I don't know, I've been in this kick lately of like just be a freaking adult. Like there's some people on LinkedIn lately that have been putting posting stupid things and I'm like, just just freaking be an adult about it. Like people are ragging on like unlimited PTO on LinkedIn all of a sudden for some reason. It's like just be an adult, it's not a scam. Learn how to manage your own freaking life and don't let don't let a company manage the life for you and you'll be just fine. They're ragging on unlimited PTO? Yeah, some some guy on LinkedIn was talking about how mandatory pto is better than a limited pto huh. and he said it was a scam and i'm just like evidently you don't know how to run your life because you're not an adult and you have to let a ceo of a company dictate it for you yeah like i don't know i just, just those things that there's a lot of that that i'm that i'm like feeling lately this is one of them <laughs> is like is like just it's like here's the tools learn how to use the tools man yeah. And if that means you gotta, if that means you gotta talk to somebody to learn it, then talk to somebody. Like that doesn't hurt anybody. Nobody's gonna, you know, nobody's gonna think you're stupid because you don't know something. Like mm -hmm. you, they're gonna think you're stupid when you create a conflict and get defensive about it. <laughs> then they're gonna be like, I don't want to work with this guy. Yeah. He's crazy. <laughs> <coughs> Sweet. Well, sorry, sorry for uh, taking you on that tangent so so long, but. Um, you can un, you can unpin your your pinned item, Patrick. What were oh you yeah, say? yeah, yeah. I, I had one more. I had one more preventative bullet list item. Awesome. To prevent conflicts, and that would be thinking thinking about holistic user experience. So we we have this principle at Canopy, right, Andy? That is the hardest principle to live up to. It's owning Canopy, not owning features as a designer, mm -hmm. right? Like, you design for your piece of the pie, but at the end of the day, we all own Canopy. We all own the entire product, yeah. right? So I think it's way too easy for designers. Everyone, all of us have done this, and I think we fight all of it all the time. It's too easy to just look at your current project you're working on and think that's the most important thing and think that user experience is going to solve everything. Because you don't know if you haven't looked at how your your project is impacting the rest of the application, um, then you're going to create a poor user experience for everyone in the application. Mm -hmm. 
right? Or you can, you open yourself up to. So you have to, you have to think about like, okay, well, what's like, I'm working on a particular feature, but what's the goal of our users in general? Like, I got to remember this, like, what are they trying to do? What are they trying to do about this? Also, I think that allows you to listen better and pay attention to other designers better because you know what they're trying to design for, right? You're not just in your own tiny world, you know? We used to, I used to draw the thing on the whiteboard, Andy. Do you remember? I never draw. I don't think I ever drew it for you. It was like the entire whiteboard, and then every designer, like, takes an inch of it, of that entire whiteboard, and tries to fit all their designs in that entire little piece, like that one little inch, and they forget that they have this whole entire whiteboard to explore, which is the entire application. Yeah. Right? And I think we, we come up with errors even in UX where we put things in the wrong location where people can't access them. Or we do all kinds of crazy things or we create different experiences in one area of the app versus another area of the app because we've never even looked at it. We've mm-hmm. never even gone outside our neighborhood, right? Wouldn't even know that there's a bigger world out there. And I think designers, that's a trap. And I think especially it's a trap when, even more so it's a trap when you work in the, um, what do they call that, co-located squad unit kind of thing mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about yeah like the, the like everybody's squads yeah like the cross-functional squads i think it's i think when you're on it when you're embedded on a product squad or a product team it's even harder when you sit next to each other as designers all day i think it's way easy to look at holistically because you're constantly talking to each other you're constantly looking at it um so i think you you have to fight this you have to fight the urge of like zooming yourself so far into the map that you can't see what state what country you're in right Mm -hmm. and realize that that country has other like you're you're just in your little tiny neighborhood and you don't realize all of the other conflicts that are happening in the rest of the world right yeah we do that as designers i think that's happening in the world right now too as well andy but (laughs) we do that we definitely do that as designers in our application Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I love that a lot. And that's always been something that I've taken away from Canopy is you're not, you're not just designing for your team and making your team look great. You're really just designing for the end user, which would involve Mm -hmm. their entire experience, the whole workflow um, that they're going through in your application, right? So um, if, if you have a conflict, right, and you know, it's, it's your very beautiful artistic design versus some other designers um, design that you don't think is as great because <laughs> it's, it's not as artistic. In the end of the day, like you really want to design what's best for the user. And that's going to include something, as you said, that's holistic, that makes sense as part of this application. It's not a, you know, a one-off experience that has, it shouldn't belong there, but you just designed mm-hmm. it because you wanted to or you thought it was cool. Um, it's It's all part of one big experience and you need to make sure it fits so i think that that definitely involves designers uh talking and working together and i think it's a really great point for um for not having conflicts after or for um for as you said prevention of conflicts that's what i'm that's what i'm getting at it's a great way to prevent that so i um have to say i agree with you patrick good (laughs) i i agree with you andy (laughs) <laughs> I think when you're talking about resolving conflicts, it's the same approach. When a conflict arises, it's the same thing. It's, you, you have to pause and be like, okay, well, hold on. 
Let's look at this. Let's look at this holistically. Mm-hmm. Are either of us even looking at this holistically? Because maybe we're both freaking wrong, right? Yeah. If there's a conflict or do either of us even understand the design system? <laughs> like you're doing stuff that goes against the design system. I'm doing stuff that goes against the design system. So obviously neither of us are, are doing the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't ever think in any case it's it's one's right and one's wrong. I think in most cases it's, it's a give and take, right? I think so too. And I think there's also like um, when you design something, there's probably a hundred different ways that you could do it. And mm-hmm. you could be designing it just like slightly different from another person. And it, it doesn't need to be different. It could be the same thing. So um, yeah, think of the way you can do it the same way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Like we, we, you battle that just by yourself. But then if, you know, like if you pick one way, you have to understand and realize that, yeah, there's plenty of different ways that you could accomplish the same goal and it would, and everything's going to be just fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that. That goes back to getting, you know, married to your, to your ideas. Right. I think as designers, I think we always want to try to be like, we're the creative people that solve problems and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I mean, that's part of the job, but that's not like, that's not 100% solely our responsibility. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's our, like what we're building as a team is solving the problem. And so if you, if you ignore what other team members are doing and you just want to run, you know, run your own thing, then you should quit your job and go run your own thing. Cause like, you're never going to be happy in that situation. There's so many sports analogies here. I don't know if people like sports analogies. Uh, They don't Patrick sports analogies have gone down 25% this year. So. Yeah. Well, maybe people want them because they can't watch sports right now. <laughs> or they don't, they haven't seen a sports game for so long. They don't remember them anymore, Patrick. Yeah. Maybe they're like, what is sports? I don't remember what it is. But it's the, it's the team mentality. It really comes down to how to resolve a conflict is by being a team player, right? Yeah. And using common sense and being a team player that way like being humble, being a team player. I think design, there's some preventative measures that we talked about, but I think at the end of the day, it's like understanding that like you're, you're trying to solve a goal as a team, not as a singular designer. Mm -hmm. Now, now Patrick, I want to bring up one more thing. What happens if this conflict is because of a design system that is not consistent? Then what uh, happens, then, I th- <laughs> then I think you need to examine the design system. I think I think there's that's when you open it up and you understand the. But if you understand the design system, you might understand the con- inconsistency, or you might understand the decision making. Right. Mm-hmm. I think you have to understand that to even understand if something's inconsistent or whatever. You know what I mean? But yeah. I think I think to your point though, is if you can if you can come to that conclusion. Where now it's instead of two designers railing against each other about a thing, it's both designers coming and railing against the design system. Mm-hmm. Then I think they then I think it's your responsibility to make a solution, not just complain about it. Absolutely. Right. Um, I think that, so. There's one thing that, that comes to mind, and I don't know if you remember this, Patrick, but um, as <laughs> as a canopy team, we had this this big issue with our design system where we all could not <laughs> we could not. Um, agree on how to capitalize our words 
<laughs> and I don't know how many meetings we had <laughs> where we all argued and finally voted on if we want our titles to be sentence case or, or title case or our buttons to be sentence case and title case. Like, and we, we came out with, <laughs> with, 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 you came back with the, the, the 10 commandments of, of what we do, right? So, well, I, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. We had that argument, right? Had that big <laughs> argument, and Moses was there. And then Moses went up on the hill, and he came back. He came back, and his, his turnaround was pretty quick. It was about twenty-four hours, which was really surprising. Yeah. And then he comes back with with the two tablets with the eight commandments of 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 uh, con- content type, whatever it is. Yeah. Right for our application. Since then, we haven't had a problem, really. I don't think. Um, but yeah, we had, we had to call, we had to call up, a, we had to conjure up a higher source. We did. To help us um, resolve that Yeah. Situation. If I, if I do remember, we did lots of voting on the, the many yeah. different things, which, um, that was a, a pretty deep meeting, I think for, for deciding sentence versus title case. It was just like very long <laughs> and emotional. <laughs> what, what always, what always got me and maybe this is just me being a jerk and being like, like trying to think about this logically. But when I looked at the app, this was always the funny thing about me. When I looked at the app, if it was a title, I just assumed it would be title case, right? Okay. <laughs> if it was a sentence, I would assume it just is sentence cased. I didn't I didn't I didn't see any other nuance. Like making a ti- making a title sentence case for some visual reason just seemed ridiculous to me, you know? Like there was just it was just like for me it always just felt more like common sense like it's called title case for a reason you know mm-hmm. but but yeah I mean we 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 got we argued about buttons we argued about all kinds of stuff yeah like and the, the, the input labels like form input labels like should those be title mm-hmm. case are should those, those sentences are they sentences we don't know what they are <laughs> but that that's more of a case of we didn't we didn't have those defined in a style guide anywhere mm-hmm. up to that point we just people made assumptions. And then, you know, QA was coming up with their own assumptions, you know, like, yeah. I think it's a title, so it should be title case. I think it's a sentence, it should be sentence, whatever it is, right? And then somebody, somebody, <clears throat> Nick, threw in all caps into the mix. Yeah. I was like, well, let's settle one argument before we talk about yelling at people with all caps. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's a good case where nobody really understood Nobody clearly, like the company itself didn't, the design system itself, right, didn't have a clear understanding of that. Mm-hmm. And so it left it open to conflicts. So you bring up a good point, like your design system is culpable for that too, yeah. right? If your design system is not consistent that way, then even your own design system will cause um, conflicts with the designers, which is weird because designers should hurt people. Well, it could be the smallest thing. Not. <laughs> it could be the smallest thing um, that will create those conflicts. And if there's if there's nothing that's clearly defined, designers are just going to do whatever they want, right? They're just yeah, they're just going to do whatever. No, it's true. Whatever the the most recent dribble post they saw was, they're going to do that, um, and it's not going to be consistent amongst their designs. <laughs> like five months ago, it would have been something different, and now they saw a new dribble post, so they're going to do something new. <laughs> So it's yeah. going to be inconsistent across designers, um, across your design team, um, all that stuff. So um, it is definitely important to have a clearly defined design system, I think. You bring up a really good point about designers just doing whatever they want. 
um, because we had uh, in the past I had a PM who would get frustrated product manager would get frustrated because designs weren't being completed on time designs weren't finished you know they weren't they weren't ready to go like all kinds of weird problems right mm-hmm. and it was another PM that told that PM that's like if you don't give a designer restrictions if you don't give a designer constraints they'll take as long as they want they'll do whatever they want like you have to give them constraints and you have to enforce those constraints right mm-hmm. on a designer because as designers and I, I agree with this like if you didn't have constraints you'd do whatever you want because you're trying to do the best thing right you're just trying to make the best thing yeah and it would take and you so three if nobody's years. yeah yeah so if nobody said if nobody said hey uh, we got to get this done by next week so that we can, you know, make money and stuff, right? So we can have jobs. Like, <laughs> you, 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 like you, a designer's fine with that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think to that point and to the conflict point, it's okay to give designers constraints. I think a lot of people outside of the design world and even in the design world, like developers and everybody else, like QA people, product managers customers you know clients all those people i think are afraid to like give a designer constraints like time constraints or design system constraints because they feel like they'll they'll kill creativity but i think as as we know as designers constraints actually enhance our creativity yeah when we when we have yeah those those boxes that we have to design in then a lot of great solutions come out of that that's true yeah Because, you know, we get those constraints from users too, right? Like we, we understand what their jobs are and that's what makes a design more focused and it, it's better mm-hmm. at solving a solution. If we don't have those constraints, then we we try to build an entire, like, huge experience into something that should have been very simple. And I yeah. 100% have fallen into that a million times. Yeah. Me too. And it's it's really hard if you're if you can't recognize that in yourself as a designer. I think you you become very difficult to work with. <laughs> well, yeah. did we resolve? Did we resolve this? I think we resolved that conflict, Patrick. Yeah. Hopefully. Did we resolve our? We we never really resolved the cashew almond debate that we we've been having the last couple episodes right no yeah but we're not going to just agreed yeah yeah i think we just agreed to disagree on that one (laughs) okay all right man there's another one in the box we've done it is that is that what is that what they say um i think it's can it's can (laughs) there's another one in the can right i think so there's a there's a can yeah do you think that goes back to when they shot movies on film they would take that film spinner thing, you know, with the film on it. Mm-hmm. And then when they were done, they put it in the metal can where that film thing goes. Do you think that's where that comes from? It's very possible. I'm not going to argue with it because I have no idea. And I'm not going <laughs> to take the time to Google it. So I'm just going to take your word for it, man. Okay, I'm just going to make that assumption. But sounds right. Yeah. Right? Like the director's like, they're filming. And then all of a sudden it's like, cut. It's like, I think we got it. It's in the can. <laughs> and they go, plink, plink, and it's in the can. Is that, a, is that a film reference, though, or is it like a radio reference? Like, did they, 
that involve cans when they're creating radio content, Patrick? You know, you know, back back in the day, you know. Tell me. Back in the day? Yeah. What does that mean? Are you trying to say are you trying to say something? I'm not trying to Andy? say anything. No. Trying to say I'm old or something? Is that what you're trying to say? I would never try to say that, Patrick. I mean, I grew up in the '90s. I'm not old, all right. I, I mean, I am now, but yeah, back then I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I assume it came from film, the can. Because in radio, they didn't really record radio, right? They broadcasted it. Oh, I guess that's probably true. Chuckles and McGee didn't do their morning show and then be like, it's in the can. They just like live broadcasted it, right? I guess. By the way, we should should change our podcast to Chuckles and McGee. (laughs) Which one is Chuckles and which one is McGee? I don't know. I think McGee's the one that makes the fart noises and Chuckles (laughs) is the one that laughs at him. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to figure that out. Who's going to do the fart noises? We'll do that. We'll do that another day. We'll have a meeting about that. Okay, good. A a programming meeting. (laughs) All right, man. Okay, man. Sounds good to me. Uh, See you next week, Andy. Same bat time, same bat channel, right? <laughs> yeah. Until we have to change it because one of us has a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see you, man. See ya. You want to know the best way to support the podcast? And I know you do because you made it to the end of this episode. That is, share it. Share it with a coworker, share it with a family member, share it with a friend. Share it with whoever you want to. Share it with a construction worker. Share it with somebody. It doesn't matter. Just share it. Um, a couple more ways to support the podcast, though. Go buy a t-shirt over at designmuch.threadless.com and then wear it with pride. And then lastly, to support the podcast, we need your topics. Use hashtag designmuchtopics on social media or shoot us an email at topics at designmuch.org or just go to designmuch.org contact and fill out the form. 